Pam Ochoa. Last week, we talked about writing culture. This week, we're going to talk about reading culture. So I have a reading question for you, which is, how has your reading identity evolved over the years? Think back to when you first started reading, when you, the early years, how it's evolved over time. What are, what are all the, the peaks and valleys of your reading identity? How have you changed as a reader over your lifetime? You mean all the way from Dick and Jane? All the way from <laughs> Dick and Jane. Well, I used to not really read. We were talking the other day about my, my mom was talking, and uh, I think it was last night. Um, we were sitting around the table because my sister's in town, and so we were, we were talking, and um, she brought up, somebody uh nikki cruz and i was like that's the first novel i i read all the way through on my own and that was the cross and the switchblade because my teacher had it out uh it was his story um and all of that so it was kind of cool um how's my reading changed so you know that was there was a more of a reluctant reader that was my first book that i actually read through you know because we used to always have to do dick and jane i did i did read the boxcar children that's another one that i would read that was in the sixth grade back then and then little house on the prairie but i always never finished them you know what i mean like i would get to now I'd, i guess i'd read the boxcar children but i wasn't really that much of a reader to be honest when i was younger and then i told you my sister's in town so then she would always challenge me to read so she's a reader we're talking about a reader like right now she's sitting over here she doesn't know that she's on but She's sitting over here and she's reading, believe it or not. She's probably reading a book. Are you reading a book? She's reading a book. So see, there you go. It's all she does is read a book. The House of Sky and Breath Crescent City series. The Crescent City series. Yeah. And what's it called? It's um, by Sarah Moss. The House of Sky and Breath is the Crescent City yeah. series. So it's by Sarah Moss. So anyway, that's what she's reading that series. She's talking about Akatar. Oh, Akatar. She reads all that stuff. You you two could probably have some conversations about the kind it's, of stuff y'all like yeah, to read. I like I like Sarah yeah. Moss. She's she's you a like not, Sarah Moss. Yeah, she's a she's a, a band author. And she's a districts. band author. That's why you like her. You like anybody that's a band. Anyway. And she's also reading Dean Coots and see. So she's an actual reader in the family. She's the true reader. And then but anyway, we were younger. She would go and buy a book for me. I don't know if she even remembers this, but she would, she would, we'd buy the same book or something. I don't know, but she'd sit down and she'd challenge me to see if I could ever beat her. I never could beat her. And then she would get word challenge books, you know, where we would do puzzles and stuff and little readers. Yeah. Reader digest. Yeah. We did a lot of readers digest and have competitions. She always won. So, uh, so anyway, but that's, that's kind of at my early years. Of course, college, you have those kind of readings. That was all mainly for information. And then, but I kind of got into literature. I really loved my English classes in college. I loved talking about the literature. And, uh, you know, I really loved my British lit class. And uh, so that was probably the first time I really understood because my, my high school classes, it was more just getting through and, I don't know. I don't know if I didn't have good teachers or whatever, but they weren't bad. I didn't have bad teachers. I just, I think they just taught traditionally. You know what I mean? You do these worksheets, let's parse these sentences. Let's, it just wasn't a deep, there was just no deep discussion. So I think what I really loved about literature was the deep discussion that we had in college. 
So I would do that. That's probably when I really started reading. And I was kind of got angry at my high school people because when I got to college, I had no idea all this was out there, you know, and uh, those kind of deep discussions and stuff that we had in British Lit about, you know, Byron and Keats and, you know, all of those types of things. And so I, I just, I got kind of irritated. I felt like I got cheated, you know, a little bit because it was just more like, read the book, answer the questions, take the test. And it was always a hundred question test, you know? So it was like boring. So how have I changed when I got into, so then I started teaching English. Well, when you start teaching English, you have to read all those things, right? You know, as a teacher, if I'm going to teach it. So that was fascinating. Now I was responsible for the deep discussions. And then when I started taking Abydos from there, that's when I turned into a professional reading person. And so mainly, most of my reading right now is mainly professional type reading. And um, so I'll pick up any kind of professional book and start reading it. I can read it like crazy. So that's probably where I'm at now. Um, you know, any kind of article that comes my way, those types of things I read. Um, those, you know, there's some good books that are coming out now that are pretty good. I might want to, I need to, I haven't read them yet, but they've been sent to me by people. So I got to read some of these new professional books, but now my, my reading has changed because it's become a more professional information, not because I just want the information. I, I don't know if it's because, um, I, I don't know. I, I just think it's like the theories and stuff. I love the theories and I like trying to understand why people teach the way they do. What's the background behind why it works or doesn't work. And that all started because I became the Abydos trainer. And I know I've already shared with our audience before that I had to read like 30 books of, and then we had to summarize it in one page or less and it had to be thorough. So, uh, and we had to do that because we had to almost pretty much memorize all the, you know, we had to need, we needed to have our information deep inside, right? Internalized to the point that when we get up and teach it, we can talk about it and know exactly what we're talking about and be able to quote the the experts. So most of that's there, but I still love a good book. It's just sometimes I keep myself so busy doing this other, I don't get a good, I'm not like my sister over here reading a book everywhere she goes. So to be honest. Anyway, that's it. I don't know. I don't know how my reading life has changed. <laughs> I have I have responses to that, but let's intro okay. before since we're since this is all a part of the topic today. Ladies and gentlemen, that's Pamela sure. Trump, Jacob Chastain. We are two educators down here in the state of Texas doing what we love, talking about reading, writing, workshop, and so much more. Last week, like I said, we talked about writing culture. So if you're struggling with that, jump to that episode. If you're in this episode, and you want to learn about how to create reading culture, that's really what we're diving in today, how to get kids reading, how to get them to be a part of it, how to get them to even care about the things you're doing in reading instruction. So that's what we're going to be jumping into. But I want to tell you that this podcast is sponsored by our wonderful listeners who throw a couple dollars our way. They get access to bonus episodes, bonus videos, bonus trainings, and so much more. There's tons of stuff over there on the Patreon that you guys can access right now if you go support us, just like Donna, Amanda, Matt, Jen, Lori, Hannah, Andrea, Tracy, Susan, Natalie, Lori, Destiny, Melissa, Carol, Courtney, Rebecca, Sarah, Amy, Mark, Leah, Brandy, and Alicia all have. So go join them if you would like. If you can't subscribe to the podcast, you don't miss anything. Leave a review if you have not already. Let's go get to the conversation. All righty, Ochoa. So you said something that I wanted to kind of... Uh-oh. Double down on what? 
No, you said you. there's something I said. I always get nervous when people try uh, to say back what I said. Mm, Who knows? Well, I'm not saying back, but oh, okay. you talked about the, the a first book that you read. And here's the thing. So my reading life, one of the more positive things uh, my mom did for me was she, one of the earliest memories I have is we had this big gray couch, um, like a big gray sectional. And I remember her reading books all the time, like late night, uh, she would have the little lamp right in the middle of the sectional and that's where she would read kind of off in the corner. And I was just so obsessed with it. I was like, man, I don't like, it just seemed cool to me, like the idea of a book. And then my older brother, uh, one of my half brothers who I only saw really on holidays and summer break, he would read all the time. He'd come over and he would like read for hours and hours and hours and hours. And I was just like, man, I don't even, I don't even know what that's like. I'm like, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. um, and so I had these people around me who read and then I had the, the show Arthur, there was all like, they always had books in that show. And mm -hmm. they talked about how cool it was to go to the library and like, oh my God, like these scary books are cool. And so I had like goosebumps books as a kid and stuff that I really wanted to read and uh, kind of be a part of. And I, I wanted to dive into them, but I really kind of, I felt like I was a struggling reader for a really long time. Like I pretended to read way before I could really read. Um, and I would open books and I had, I remember being young and kids would, you know, they'd be reading all kinds of stuff. And I'm just like, I don't even like, I remember one of my friends was reading Redwall, um, which is, uh, it's like a epic fantasy, kind of like the Merlin stories, but told through rats. Um, and it's, there's like hundreds and hundreds, not hundreds, but there's tons of these books. Like the guy's written tons, but I really wanted to read them, but they were huge. They're like 400, 500 pages and whatnot. And I remember struggling to do that. I remember reading Hank the Cowdog. Oh, that's a good one. But the first book that I ever remember fully reading on my own, like with, I had read books before this, but the one that I feel like is the most clear, the where I felt the most accomplished at it becoming one of my favorite books of all times was Holes. Oh, that's such a good book. I read it. And one of the things that got me into it was the short chapters, right? Because some of the chapters are like a paragraph. Um, and so you feel accomplished going through it. And I remember being so obsessed with it. And I remember I read it and then I, I read it from the library, the, the school library. And then I bought it through the, the, you know how, like I get, there's like the scholastic, like it was almost like book fairs or whatever, but we had like these book orders where the school would give them like these pamphlets to us and we'd go home and like, we could bring the money back. Mm -hmm. Um, and we, I bought it through there and then I just ended up like, I would always kind of pick it up. And then eventually I got into Harry Potter and all that other stuff. And then the fantasy world happened. But, uh, when my fifth grade teacher read the Hobbit to us and after that it was over, like I was into reading and it, I, there was no stopping me, but I just remember that holes experience being like the first time I ever read a big, you know, quote unquote, big chapter book. And then come to find out it's an amazing book. Like even today, it's still such a strong novel. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, my, I don't know. I feel like my reading life was so shaped by seeing other people read and wanting to like go like, what's, what's that about? Like, what are you doing over there? Like, what's, mm -hmm. 
what's happening? And I, I just wanted to know, like, we've always emphasized like the modeling of an educator in a space. We talk about it in writing all the time, but I feel like the modeling of reading is such a powerful thing. If you're an educator that a kid trusts and you model what it is to be a reader, I feel like that does a lot of heavy lifting. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it does. And, um, but you know, like at home, uh, I don't, you know, like, I was telling you about my sister hot. I watch her read. She still reads. She still amazes me on it. But, but my kids would watch me read. Right. And I, all of my kids have been readers. My son is really a reader. So I think reading is also social a little bit because we love to talk about the books that we just read with each other. Like, what do you think about the characters and things like that? And one of the things that I have done is, and I have on my shelf and I've mentioned it before is like to be able to understand the things that my son does and what, you know, so he has given me some books to read. And so those are some things that we've talked about because uh, he gives it, he goes, if you really want to understand mom, what I'm all about and what I do for a living, here's a book. And if you read this book and it was a fiction book, but one of them was a fiction book and the other one was real. You know, it was somebody's memoir. And so reading those two things gave me a good understanding of of him. But then we could talk about it. And as a result, I've gotten to know, you know, so that social aspect has really brought our relationship closer together. And I think when we model in the classroom, like what you're talking about, but then we share our love of the book that we just read. What were you reading? Oh, guess what I was doing is your. And if we do that in the classroom, then I think that is also something where the kids can see the social aspect of it as well. And I think that's really important too. Yeah. The social, and th I, this is where like, when we talk about like reading culture, it really does come mm -hmm. down to uh, like how the same thing we said last week, which is how it comes down to how you talk about reading. Is it all right, kids pull out your books. We're going to read for 10 minutes. All right. Or <laughs> that's the play by high school teacher. <laughs> and make sure you answer those questions every and what what is it, the unit question or the yeah. question at the end of each section? <laughs> that Don't was those. well and that's and your vocabulary like, words. Yeah, like that. I remember like wanting to I remember like middle school, we had these big so by the time I was leaving elementary. I was getting, I had like become a better reader and I was reading so much that I was just like getting better. Right. And so they put me in honors classes in middle school, whatever they were called. I don't know if they were called honors, um, at the time, but, um, they put me in that class and I remember my English teacher, I don't remember her name. Um, but I remember hating the class because all we did was it's like, okay, pull out your literature book and you know you pull out the 900 pound literature <laughs> book and you open it and we start reading these stories and there's all of these graphics and there's the side questions it's like as you read answer those side questions on the side right there don't miss mm -hmm. them you have to answer those and by the end of it you've answered eight questions you've defined three different vocabulary words and by the end of it i remember sitting there going i don't even know what the heck i read right because I was so distracted on doing the work and and mm -hmm. not on the reading aspect. And it was, but at the same time, I was like, can we just read our novels? And we did that. Like every Friday we got to read independently. 
and that was fine. But then I ended up getting pushed out of those classes. I was like, oh, I can't because I wasn't doing well in them. And then it became this weird, uh, it just became this weird process to where like I had like this strange, like combative relationship in schools where I wanted to read. I would skip class in high school to go read in the library, but I didn't want to do the reading that they wanted me to do in class because it was so often tied to however many questions and essay, like all the time. Um, and that's where I think the reading culture thing is so undervalued because I got lucky because I had people around me who read, I had people that kind of set that in me and I found a love for reading before it was killed by secondary school (laughs) is essentially what happened. But how many kids aren't that lucky? How many kids don't have books around them? Like I, I had books in my house, right? I had old Dean Koontz novels that were like, I mean, dusty and like that old hardback cover that like didn't even have the jackets on them. They had like back when like the cover was on like the car, the actual cardboard of the book or Mm -hmm. whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I remember opening those and the pages were brown, but like I still read them. Like there's kids that don't grow up with any of that. Kids that go from apartment to apartment. You're not bringing around, you know, a hundred books with you from apartment to apartment. Um. You and and it's those kids that we lose when we don't build, when we don't show them what reading culture is. That was one of the realizations I had at teaching um, at the middle school that I taught at forever, which was a lot of these kids just they, like, yeah, we're setting up classroom libraries. That's where like my love for categorizing the library came from, because mm-hmm. it was I was like, oh, they don't even know. Like I'm taking them to the library, but they're only going to either what they've seen before but I would watch them. It was like a foreign language. They didn't know how to understand the spines and people like, well, just look at the genre. They don't know what that is. They had no real concept of what science fiction, what kind of stories exist in science fiction or fantasy or realistic. Like they kind of had an idea, but not really not enough to be able to navigate. Like when I look at science fiction, I'm like, Oh, this is hard sci-fi. Like that's not what I'm into. Right. Or this is, this is like, oh, this is more of a soft science fiction, um, but it's very character based. Like I can judge that based on how something is written, how all of that, but that is a different language that these kids don't often have access to. And I think we just do such a massive disservice when we don't build that reading culture around what, what does it mean to talk about things as a reader? Also, you were, you were looking for something. A second ago, what were you doing over there? You're planning something. I see you. Oh, my mom called, so I was telling my sister, please answer my phone. <laughs> oh, I thought you were grabbing something. No, I'm not. I'm not. That's all it was. Sorry. Regardless, the it's it's that piece though. The I don't like. I I think we might have referenced it last episode, but like Donalyn Miller writes about it in one of the best ways where she like in the early days, it's like, we're not going to sit here and talk about all these rules. We're not going to sit here and talk about the syllabus. We're going to go to the classroom library and we're just going to grab books and we're going to look at them and we're going to talk about them. And I'm going to, as the teacher, I'm going to say, Oh, that's a great book. I think you would really love that. Or, Oh, I didn't really like that book, but who wants to try it? This is why I didn't like it. Right. And creating just that conversation around it that's low stakes it's not always surrounded by a question it's not surrounded by an essay it's not surrounded by work of course we're going to get to a certain level of that but if reading is only always met by work no wonder kids hate reading 
No, I think that was that was my issue. Is everything was all you always had to answer a question that you know you t- you mentioned something earlier, and that was the fact that you didn't understand what you read after you answered all those questions because it was interrupted, and uh, that's kind of the problem I had when I was actually teaching. I was teaching ninth grade, and we were doing um, Great Expectations, which you know that book very well. And um, but at that time, this this push for I guess post-it notes have come out and we can, you know, they bought us all these post-it notes and the 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 district told us at the time that we we needed to make sure that we were teaching annotation. And so can you imagine we did this? We annotated great expectations. I don't think any kid understood great expectations because they were having to remember what's the uh, explanation point mean? What what kind of questions am I supposed to ask here? And we would have to stop and, and do all that. And I think it was that one year when we did that, that was when I realized this is annotating is fine, but you got to have a real purpose for it. But when you're sitting down to read a novel and you really want to understand it, I don't think I think you have to read it through without interruption because it's that interrupting the brain all the time that's causing us causing you not to be able to understand it. So um, so anyway, the next year after that, I would pick like because we still had to do the annotation, but because, you know, they would come around and we'd have to show evidence that we were doing all that. So instead of doing the whole book like they had told me to. Uh, I had wise. I, I decided to just pick the most important parts of the book that I think annotating would help them understand deeper. Like when when we were going to when by reading that section you were going to better understand the theme, right? And so I would pick just those pages, two or three pages, and they would annotate those two or three pages, and then we would stop and really talk about it. But my goal then was to help the students better understand the theme. You know, what, you know, what, what does it mean to have a benefactor? And what does it mean uh, to grow up in such a situation, you know, like he had? And how did all these people play a role in his development as a character? So those types of things we would stop and ask. But the first time when I never really done annotating like that, and we didn't do it when I was in school, I didn't have to do that. I would, I would annotate my college books just for, and, and when I mean annotating those, that would be like when I took my humanities classes or when I took my history classes, you know, I would annotate for the information I had to have. And, but I wouldn't annotate the novels that we were reading. I just didn't do it. But there was this big, huge push for that. And I think we still have that too. And it just it just really stymied the whole entire class. The kids hated it. They hated it. And I'm like, I know, so why? We still have to do this. Annotation time, you know. It was just, it was just drudgery. So I never did it that way anymore. And I'm glad I found that out early. Yeah. And that right there is I don't know. Annotations have always been funny to me because I think they're so overdone. <laughs> no, that was that was exactly right. They were overdone. And it's it's funny because I, in in defense of them, we know why they exist. They're scaffolds. You're wanting kids to interact mm-hmm. with the text, not just sit there and read the words or whatever. It's something that people have designed that helps get a kid to really invest in what they're reading, hopefully. But oftentimes it's just distraction. Um, I think there has to be a, a purpose. I think 
I think annotations work best after something has been read for the first time, after you've already gone through a pass or two, after you've already dealt, like if you're reading a novel, for instance, if you're, if you're doing, let's do a whole class novel, you have kids reading, but they're having to annotate the entire chapter the whole time. What are you doing? Like it's, it's just, it doesn't really make sense. It breaks up their reading speed. It breaks up the, the images that are happening because anyone who reads knows that it takes a minute to get in the zone and then you do get in the zone. And then before you know it, you're 20 pages in and you're like, Oh man, time has really flown. But that doesn't happen if you're constantly, it's like you're putting pressure on your brain to be like, okay, you have to notice all the details. You have to notice this. You have to mm-hmm. notice that. And people just don't read like that. And I know people say, well, at school, they need to read like this, et cetera. But it's why reading is not just school. We want them to analyze. We want them to be able to address complex themes and take ideas from something and write about them and explain and argue and do all these things. But if all if that's all you do without ever just reading, you're never going to get there. It's like when you're laying on a beach and reading, you're not sitting there annotating the entire time. You're not putting a question mark next to all the things that make you wonder, right? And I think that when we talk about reading culture, I think that like that, those conversations that I've had with kids are the ones that de-stress them enough to get them to engage with books. I've had kids and we've detailed this on the pot on this podcast and older episodes where it's like, you know, that one breakthrough that finally happens in February with that kid who hasn't been reading and all of a sudden they find the book that hooks them. But that comes from tons of low stakes reading opportunities that is never a gotcha. And I say that I walk around and be like, I don't know why you're fake reading. I'm not stressing out. If you don't like that book, don't read it. There's no (laughs) reason to fake read you. There's no reason to pretend like you're that I'm going to force you to write about something. I'm going to come around and talk to you. And if you're not reading, that's cool. We'll talk about why and we'll move on to the next book. But it's th- this over-reliance on annotation. I think it comes from what why me and you created Craft and Draft in the first place is the need to constantly have kids prove that they're doing something. Yeah. It's like, no, show me your mm-hmm. thinking, right? Show me this at all times. You never, <laughs> you have to, your thinking always has to be on display. And then we wonder why kids rebel especially kids that struggle they don't want their thinking on display because they struggle to do the thinking that we're asking them to do in the first place why would you want to put on display the very things that make you self-conscious and that is it for this episode ladies and gentlemen that's pretty much i'm jacob chastain we're two english teachers down here in the state of texas doing what we love talking about reading a workshop and so much more you can hear the rest of this conversation on patreon we have the full episode live right now as you're hearing this this is half the episode we're gonna release the other half for free feeds next week so if you can't support us over there on patreon we understand but you gotta wait another week for it but if you want to support us get that information now we dive into more phonics discussions we dive into more reading discussion and we pull in an article to talk about so tons of stuff left in this episode so come back next week if you would like to hear that if you want to hear it right now go support us on patreon that's patreon.com slash craft and draft thank you so much for those of you who have already done it leave a review if you haven't already subscribe if you haven't already and know that we are here for you